Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. It is 11.45 a.m. on a rare Saturday episode. And um, the reason why I'm talking today is because there's been so much on my mind today. And so much has been happening the last day or so. <laughs> um, this whole Dave Chappelle thing. Um, and, and like furthermore, I've been... I've been trying to, you know, write more, get back writing for my newsletter. And in addition to what I want to write about in terms of IP, I just want to write about a whole bunch of just like contentious topics. Uh, Just because I do have a lot of thoughts on that that I think would be interesting to, you know, discuss. Um, Some of that is in the space of race. Some of that is in the space of abortion. Some of that is in the space of... Um, LGBTQI plus community and everything like that, the idea of gender and all this other stuff. I just wanted to go ahead and tackle all of these contentious topics in one giant newsletter uh, just because (laughs) might as well. Um, But for some reason, I found it difficult to kind of piece together all my thoughts while I was writing, right? And this is kind of weird. Well, not really because I've I've always had this problem (laughs) with writing and usually I just keep writing until something starts making sense and then go back and redo it. But with the newsletter this long, right, when I when I'm touching on all these different topics, that becomes too difficult to do. Right. Because if I if I do that, I'm literally going to have like 30, 50 pages on my newsletter and then I'm not going to want to go back and cut it down. So I figured I might as well talk. Right. So I can get my thoughts together um, at least a little bit better. And then I could go back and uh, pull out, you know, some of the some of my favorite aspects of of, of uh, how I'm piecing together all this thing, all this stuff. So, um, this might be a long episode. I'm not sure. We'll see. So, the three main things I want to talk about today that have been kind of difficult to piece together is number one, the idea of race, and whether or not we can ever, you know, get rid of this idea of race and kind of. Or as Khadija Mbowi talks about, which I which I mentioned in one of my, um, I think a week ago when I watched her video, um, I mentioned in that podcast. But like, can we ever, her title was, can we ever stop being obsessed with race or something like that? And she mentioned, you know, different ideas of how people think about race. I won't reiterate that whole episode, but I, want, I do want to talk more on this because I had a great conversation with my partner last night. Um, about that and I want to you know kind of talk more about that and then of course you have the whole Dave Chappelle thing and usually I I, I didn't really care too much because people you know always always get up in arms about Dave Chappelle and many many other comedians and to me it's just kind of frustrating because I'm like why do we care about what these people say (laughs) but you know the problem is that you know these people are influential you know they have a voice and a lot of people hear them. A lot of millions of people hear what they say. And unfortunately, out of those millions of people, many people kind of either take what they say as gospel or they, you know, kind of lose the whole point, right, <laughs> of what they're saying. Or, you know, there's a number, number of issues that crops up. And um, even though I don't have a voice, <laughs> um, just just kind of talking on this topic will once again help me to form my own arguments and my own kind of opinions and all this other stuff. And uh, more importantly, I just think it's important for us to have these types of dialectics, you know, as we're trying to figure out um, what type of society we want to live in and what type of culture we want to be and all this other stuff. We have to kind of talk about these things in order to determine 
you know, what the hell we're, we're, we're even about, you know? So, yeah. Um, in talking about Dave Chappelle, I'm also going to talk about uh, trend, not really transgender um, issues in itself, because that's not, that's not really my bag. But I will talk about the idea of, of the problem of gender in general, right? And I think it's actually a similar idea to race. But this is going to be a super, super contentious topic, because that's even more uh, harder for people to, to, to wrap their heads around, I think. Um, and then on top of all that, kind of kind of wrapping all that up, I want to talk about culture and the, what, what, what culture is, you know, what it's not and how we can uh, kind of go towards a better future. Sorry, sorry. Let's do this. Moan is long. Let me or blowing these leaves. I always feel like I have to yell over these loud ass machines. But anyways, <laughs> OK, so let's start with um, with race. So again, I don't want to reiterate, you know, Khadija's whole arguments and what I've said in response to all that. Go check out that um, that episode a couple of days ago, probably roughly a week ago today, um, if you want to hear more about that. What I want to talk about specifically is, you know, which will wrap into the last point, which which is uh, this conversation I had with my partner, who was we. I asked her, you know, what does she think about whether or not we would ever stop being obsessed about race and um it's funny because we 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 had this basically the same position but she um kind of expanded on the 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 other side of that which is you know doubtful that we would ever you know at least within our lifetimes and within our grandparents i mean grandkids you know lifetimes ever kind of live uh without the idea of race kind of over overshadowing us or at least you know that's not exact words but you know doubt that we we would be able to get rid of this idea of race um within our lifetimes if here's a caveat if we don't dismantle you know the, the institutions this and the systems in which create race right in which uh not yeah both create and perpetuate race and racism right which i definitely agree with furthermore we got to talking about the idea of you know taking pride in one's identity one's kind of race right like black pride and being proud of who you are and all this other stuff like <laughs> and and i've learned a lot of this from her too there's a lot to be proud about in terms of being quote unquote black right and taking that pride right being being proud of all the things that we've accomplished the fact that we've created a global kind of culture around this um kind of rise out of oppression this kind of rise out of slavery the fact that our ancestors were taken from one place and put to another enslaved for hundreds of years and then you know Discriminated against in a, in, a, in a manner that was very much similar to, to slavery for a couple uh, for a few like another hundred years in the way of Jim Crow and all this other, other stuff and then inst- institutionalized to be inferior right mass incarceration war on drugs things like that and yet still here we are right and yet still most of the world generally has an understanding of black culture right 
hip-hop our our dances and everything like that you know uh is is heard around the world and that's an amazing thing the fact that a enslaved peoples were able to rise up and be so influential in the global culture in the global consciousness even though we're still very much fighting that slavery right that that's that's an amazing aspect however it's still frustrating because like it seems like well one would think at least I kind of think I kind of feel like taking pride in this idea of race and what we've accomplished you know as an oppressed peoples in and of itself also also I guess pushes along this idea of race in the first place right and um, she had this great concept the fact that uh, culture predates race which is 100% true race was literally invented not too long ago you know about two, 200, 250 years ago you can, you can actually track it down you can see the scientists the pseudoscientists rather who created race just because they wanted to uh, feel su- superior <laughs> and they wanted to justify their coloniz- colonization you can see this there's, ev- there's plenty of evidence for it right so we created this idea of not we but the, the idea of race was created but the idea of culture predates that however unfortunately it seems like many people when you think about black being black they think about that as a racial identity as opposed to a cultural one and and sometimes it kind of or it kind of feels like there's a semantic difference between like it doesn't really matter the difference between culture and race but i think it matters a lot because typically in, in many cultures people knew that a culture changed a culture changes over time right and people knew that you, you kind of sort of had to opt into culture. Sure, you can be born into it, but you didn't really, you weren't really a part of the culture until you, until you um, decided to adopt that culture, right? Until you started, until you decided to become a, a part of it, right? And you could leave that culture. You could leave it. Maybe, maybe you were born in, into it, so you never really consciously chose to, you know, to live it out. You were just kind of indoctrinated in some, in some ways to live out that culture. But if you ever decide to leave, you know, that, that people, that group, you can decide then and there if you're going to maintain your culture in a different place, in a foreign land, or if you're going to adopt the new culture of the foreign land, right? It was a kind of conscious decision. So culture was very much flexible. It's adaptive. And people can can very much choose what the culture will be. It's not very easy to do so. It takes some time. And it takes a lot of people to come together and be like, okay, this is not cool. Let's stop doing this. And let's move towards this type of thing. Um, this is why traditions are so contentious. Because sometimes it feels like a, a tradition is is um a linchpin to a culture 
but sometimes you realize that a tradition is actually bad and you can you can change the culture i mean you can change the traditions while still maintaining a a the, the general shape of the culture right but all of that is kind of a dialectic it's a conversation it's a discussion it's a it's an adaptation oh my gosh i just got a spider web on me Sheesh. I just walk right into that. I didn't see it. <laughs> One second. But yeah, so a culture is is very much something that we create and that we change over time and adapts to the to the times and all this other stuff. And as individuals, you can leave culture, you can learn it, you can do all this stuff, right? However, the problem in the assiduous nature of race is such that it takes the idea of culture and it tries to solidify it, right? The, the, the problem with race is that it assumes a culture is actually a biological construct as opposed to a social construct. And the, dif the, the difference between that is that, once again, a social contract, construct is very much like a philosophy. It's an idea. It's a thing that we all kind of agree or disagree or whatever. We kind of, you know, have a dialectic. We talk about it. But a biological one is not something you can argue with. It is just what it is. You know? A biological construct is one in which is kind of inalienable. It's, it's, it's inherent. There's nothing you can really do about it. Right? And so when the Europeans came over to places like Africa and, and, uh, and America, or, you know, whatever they called it back then, you know? They looked at these people who behaved a certain way, who looked a certain way, and they automatically, number one, grouped them all into the same peoples, even though they were they they lived geographically in completely different areas and maybe had belonged to completely different tribes and or clans or empires even, right? They just said, oh, they all look the same, and so they're all the same type of people, <laughs> right? That was the first kind of big problem, and then the second is that even though they all had different cultures. They would pull out certain aspects of the culture that they didn't like or they didn't understand and would say, oh, that's, that's uh, inferior, that's savage, that's this, that, and the other, right? That's what barbarians do, right? And then they would take these ideas of, of what they determined their culture was, not what the people, not what the Africans or the Native Americans, you know, said their culture was. They, they looked at the Europeans, you know, came up with their own <laughs> um, idea of that person's culture, and then they ascribe that to this idea of race. They describe that to this idea of, oh, there's different peoples. They must be like a different species. Like a different species. And just like you would see with the dogs and cats versus rabbits and birds, you know, a different species is something in which is completely different, right? It, it behaves a certain way and its behavior, and though there may be some variety with its, with its behavior, is very much constrained by its biology, right? It's very unlikely that you're going to find a rabbit that is able to hunt and play with its food like a cat does, right? <laughs> or even if you look at, you know, a, uh, a uh, types of birds, right? You say, oh, there's, there's uh, birds of prey, or there's, you know, um, raptors, there's these things like, you know, falcons and all this other stuff. And then there's uh, birds like, you know, parrots and things like that. These are completely different types of birds, even though they share the general, you know, species or the general 
I forget a lot of my taxonomy, but they share, you know, what it is. Uh, it's a bird. But you realize that they're completely different. They do. They behave very differently. And it's very unlikely that you'll find a, a uh, hawk that behaves like a parrot, right? Due to its biological construct. And that's what they did with culture. Very foolishly. They looked at culture. They looked at these different people who look different. And they said, oh, that must be a different species of humans. And because many of these um, Europeans, you know, had a hierarchical construct within their entire society, you know, you have to remember that this is the time of monarchs and feudalism and all this other stuff. The vast majority of them lived in extremely hierarchical con constructs. Even ones that were sort of kind of democratic, uh, most of them weren't, but even ones that sort of kind of were, were still hierarchical. They still had an ar aristocracy, a, you know, a system of, um, of monarchs and a... Uh, or a system of, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, political kind of leaders who, who had the authority and all this other stuff. So they, they, they saw life, their whole pers perspective, a lot of them, had a perspective of life that was very much hierarchical. And so they, they pretty much categorized everything else in a hierarchical nature of saying, oh, this is more powerful than that, this is more dangerous than that, this is blah, 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 blah. And sure, there's some... There's some pros to that, but as we all can see, there's also some really, really, really concerning cons to that. Especially when they, when they uh, apply this idea of value, you know, to these different things. You say, oh, this, this must be better because it's at the top of the food chain, right? Whatever that means. It must be more important, right? More, more uh, beneficial, this, that, and the other. But... And this is this is probably something that is a little bit difficult for many of us in the Western, you know, um, Western nations, the quote unquote global north to wrap our minds around. But we have to re remember, we have to recall, we have to at least realize that many other cultures did not view the world in a hierarchical nature. Right. So when you view a lion versus a, uh, a deer, or an, you know, an antelope or something like that. You didn't view the lion as better than the deer just because it ate the deer. It was just a part of the cycle, of the you know, the food cycle. Yes, you know, a lion eats the deer, obviously. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily better. Because if there's no deer or there's no antelope, the lions die. <laughs> right? It's it's obvious. It's a again, this this is obvious stuff, but it's it's important to the distinctions between their cultures. Because a culture that views the world in an inherently cyclical nature does not worry about which is quote-unquote better and which is not. You don't think about different people. When you see somebody that's different or when you see something that's different, you don't automatically try to place it in some order of, of, of you know, better and worse and more valuable and less valuable or, or anything like that. You just try to see what is its role and the cycle and so this is really important because we have to realize that many Africans many other Native Americans and all this stuff other stuff they're extremely diverse and we always forget that for instance Africa has the most genetic diversity in the world 
you will find the smartest and the quote unquote dumbest people there. The, the people with the biggest brains, people with the smallest brains, the people with the you know the tallest limbs, the people with the shortest limbs, the people you know that's super strong, the people that's not so strong, the, the <laughs> you know the super dark skin colors and the and the albino super white skin colors. You'll find all of that in Africa. And so many Africans, you know, many of these people who lived in this huge continent of Africa, who had more languages than Europe does, who had thousands of languages, thousands of cultures, they regularly impacted, right? They regularly uh, experienced people who were different than them. It was a regular part of their life in which they would see somebody who looks different, who talks differently, who behaves completely differently. In Africa, you will find freaking continent-wide, even inter intercontinent-wide empires, as well as these small, weird, freaking violent, um, um, cannibalist peoples. Right? You will find people who are extremely advanced in terms of astronomy, psychology, sociology, and all this other stuff, architecture, in addition to people. Who eat people like you you find this whole range and so they regularly you know looked at people from the aspect of you know oh this is a different person it's a different culture and I'm kind of going on a tangent you know to where I was before but this is all important this is why it's it kind of difficult for me to to write all this out is because when when you try to create an idea of race right you're, you're stratifying, you're solidifying this idea of culture, which in and of itself is super nebulous. It's supposed to be nebulous. It's very, you know, um, flexible. And, and you're concatenating it. You're, you're, um, you're, you're, what do you call it? Conflating it. You're conflating it with multiple cultures. With multiple peoples. For no other reason than they generally kind of look the same. Or rather, they actually, they generally look different. That's actually what you're doing. And this is an important distinction as well. Right? They viewed these people not because they all looked the same, but because they all looked different than what the Europeans were generally used to. Radically different. Again, because they have the most genetic diversity, and we see this, this we see this problem of monocultures. When you're used to seeing only one thing or a, a very small range of things, this is a common problem of human psychology and many other species. Might I add, the brain becomes almost incapable of seeing something too different. And it becomes incapable of actually distinguishing between things that are very different. Right? For instance, people say all the time, you know, oh, all black people look the same. Or this black person looks like that black person. But to a black person, to a racialized black person, it's obvious the difference between you and somebody else. Right? Because you see that all the time. Like, it's your brain is already... Um, Constructed to distinguish between all these different differentials. Furthermore, the difference between you and another quote, racialized black person could be as different as you know a rabbit from a cat, right? But 
a racialized white person who is not used to seeing a lot of black people, right? They might see that that you those two people as generally the same. Even though, you know, they're actually as different as a cat and a, and a, and a rabbit, they might say, oh, that generally kind of looks the same, right? <laughs> Just because their brain is not used to seeing these different uh, peoples. And again, this is actually a psychological problem, right? They did studies with, with cats in, in terms of um, being able to see different, different angles and all this other stuff. I talked about this in the past podcast. I would love to see research on whether that study between, you know, how the brain constructs reality based on uh, what it sees when, when it's, you know, being developed and, uh, and um, cultural or rather, fun, fun, uh, what's the word, phenomenological or, for, ah. what's that word? Phenom- I'm losing my words, but like the physical differences between people, right? <laughs> I wonder if there's some distinction, there's some relation there, because that's what I... I, I really think is, is happening here, at least in part, in part. But anyways, to get back to the point. So the idea of race, not only is it completely made up, but it's based on taking all these different cultures and smashing them together and saying, oh, that's, that's one race. <laughs> that's one race of people. And this is extremely important because to, even today, we ourselves have bought into this illusion. We as in the quote-unquote black community. Right? The fact that we call ourselves a black community. Racialized black people. You know? Shows that we bought into this illusion. Now granted, there are some good sides to this. And there are some, you know, logical reasons for this. Like my partner, um, she, she she mentioned how the fact that, once again, like I said before, that we all share this oppression, right? That we all share this shared history of being oppressed by these peoples. We all share that. No matter what we look like and what we experience in our, in our day-to-day lives, we all basically share the fact that if, you know, somebody who is quote-unquote white, you know, looks at us, they will probably view us in a certain way. And cops will do, you know, <laughs> are more likely to uh, brutalize us and, you know, institutions are, are less likely to hire us or to give us, you know, um, loans or, you know, this, that and the other. Right. There's a lot of evidence to show that this is true. And that's what we share. However. We have to realize that it doesn't go much beyond that. Now, this doesn't have to be bad. This doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's not necessarily a good thing either. What I mean by that is the fact that when you say, oh, the black community is doing this, the black community is doing that, what are you really saying? You're saying millions, maybe even billions of people are all behaving this way? Like, that doesn't even make any kind of sense. Only thing we actually share in common is the fact that we are similarly oppressed. Beyond that, many of our experiences and our behaviors and everything else are radically different. There are some, you can say there are some general things that we do, you know, we as a quote-unquote people, you know, 
do a little bit more for instance you know like the whole dancing we got we have flavor and we have taste and stuff like that right you can say that but you also have to realize that a lot of that is deeply problematic too because if somebody if you see a quote-unquote black person a racialized black person and they can't dance right and you say oh are you not black or where's your you know and we, we kind of say that jokingly right but as we all know with all jokes there's a little bit of kernel of truth there and you're like huh it kind of kind of hits kind of stings that's where you have these microaggressions you know and as as me as a person who was raised Haitian American and who was oftentimes behaved very differently than um what most people think black people should behave I've gotten a fair a fair number of that right And this also, you know, goes hand in hand with uh, this other video, other video I was watching yesterday uh, by foreign, foreign man in foreign land on YouTube. He had a couple of great videos, but one of them was when he was making his own response to Kadisha's video when he was talking about which is worse, um, Caribbean racism or American racism, where he pointed out that though there is some sort of, you know, general racism in, in uh, the Caribbeans. He was raised in a community where everybody, where almost everybody looked like him, you know, where the people in power looked like him, you know, the, the, the bankers, the, the politicians, as well as, you know, the everyday people at school, you know, every, most everybody looked like him. And so most people didn't really, you know, think about race that much until he came to America. All right. And he got into school and just like many other, you know, kind of, um, People who move from, to America from places like Carib the Caribbean or Africa, you know, they kind of sort of have a little bit of arrogance and, uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm this, you know, I did all this to get here and all this other stuff. And, you know, why can't these people who were born here, you know, take advantage of the, of the opportunities they have and this, that and the other. And, and you look at people and you're wondering, like, why are they so, so kind of meek and, and, and stuff or why are they this, that and the other. Right. But then, he, you know, he went to a predominantly white college in Iowa. For about a year or two years. And he noticed in himself that he became less and less kind of boisterous, less and less of himself. Especially around that time when Trump was president, when Trump was elected. He began to like feel a little, you know, like that feeling we all kind of feel. It's like, is this white person, you know, all there? Like, are they, do they wear a MAGA hat or a, or a, you know, um, a white robe <laughs> when the when the lights go out like you know you kind of get worried <laughs> when you're around so many people who are so different from you and many of them you know talk a certain way and which is inherently kind of views you in a uh, negative light right he was talking about this one moment where he was he was wrestling um, and they were training you know these different holds and everything like that and the the white dude put his knee on the, on his on his throat on foreign's throat. He's like, you know, this is this is. It was, they were trying to practice this hold where you put your knee in their in their stomach and you know try to hold them down. Well, this white man for some reason <laughs> tried to put his knee on foreign's throat. So now foreign's a big man. He just he just threw him off. He's like, what the hell? And the white boy he said, uh, I call that my George Foreman 
hold. I'm like, goodness, you know? It's events like that. All these microaggressions and these overt and covert kind of downright racist, you know, behaviors. And which seeps in to the people who live here in America. And who look differently than the people that are the majority. Right? Now, luckily for me, I was raised in a generally, you know, Haitian American culture. Um... And I rarely ever talked with or been around a whole bunch of, you know, white people, racialized white people. It wasn't until, like, after I graduated high school and started, you know, associating with the corporate world and and all this other stuff that I started to, you know, see more of that myself. But it's interesting that you very much see this this kind of... And Foreign put it really well. I suggest you go and watch that video once again, uh, which is worse. Uh, is American racism worse versus Caribbean racism? Where he talks about, um, I forget the exact words, but he basically talks about the fact that being kind of black, right? Racialized black in America, especially, puts you in the face of pervasive. kind of a pervasive feeling that these people don't like you or or see you in a in a in a kind of negative light or or don't even see you as a person they see you as a idea right and this is made worse by the fact that many people live in their own enclaves right many white people for instance live in suburbs where they rarely ever see other black people and once again like I was saying before that colors your mind, that constrains your ability to appreciate diversity, to appreciate different looking people. Because the only, if the only time you ever really hear about black people or any other type of person that's not you is on the news, and you know, of course, the news is always mostly talking about negative things, or in rap music, which is my own, I'm gonna make a whole other video or, you know, uh, um, audio journal about that. But the only other times you hear about, you know, kind of black people is from this idea of um, this is what this this kind of romanticized, minstrel-like, overly, you know, stereotypical view. Then that becomes your baseline. And so any black people that you see in real life, you begin to automatically associate them with crime or, you know, violence or you know, this cool nature of hip-hop, right? Because that's another part of the problem. We're like, oh, yeah, black people are cool because hip-hop, right? Because rap. And you see any... <laughs> they see any black person, and you're just like, hey, you cool, right, right? Hey, bro. Hey, bro. <laughs> Let me get that fist bump, bro. Or whatever. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, what? <laughs> you know? So for me, all this to say that the idea of race, especially in America, is largely predicated upon the idea of culture as a racial construct, as a racial identity. And so long as black people view ourselves as quote-unquote black people, right, 
that's what also kind of I've been struggling with is I would love to view, you know, the positive aspects of what we've overcome, what we've accomplished, you know, as a cultural thing. But the fact that we don't have the language, right, to distinguish the cultural aspects of the quote-unquote black experience as a culture and not a racial identity makes it super difficult to discuss these things and to take down the constructs of race. Now, there's a whole other side to this, which I was kind of always trying to get to as well, and that race itself... And racism is not the problem. When we say institutionalized racism and systematic racism, stuff like that, we have to realize that it's not actually race that's the problem. Race is just like a, at least this is my idea so far. I'm trying to work through this. I think the idea of race itself is kind of like the surface level, um, the surface level facade of what's really going on. And what's really going on is what I was saying before, is the fact that many people are not exposed to diversity, to diverse thought, to diverse people, to diverse cultures when they're, when they're growing up. And furthermore, the only ways in which they are exposed to other diverse people is from a negative stance. This is not a racial a racism problem this is a deeper issue of kind of hierarchical thinking kind of uh, supremacist thinking right you might call this what white supremacy but it's not just white supremacy because this existed before the idea of whiteness existed this is another thing to, to remember is that many people who we now consider white people did not even consider themselves as a whole group until the last century, until the 1950s, 1960s, and, or whatever, right? You know, look at Hitler, for instance. You know, He looked at this idea of the Aryan race. This is not just white people. This was a specific type, right? This was a specific type of quote-unquote white person. Of Euro Aryan thing, I don't even know the 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 um, everything in which they describe it, all the characteristics. But it wasn't all, you know, people that looked what that we would determine as white because many many black people, right, will look at Jews as white people because they have white skin, right, for the most part. Even though we know that like Jewish to Jews is technically not in a you know race or anything like that, that just shows you the problem of race. It's not a it's not a real construct. But as a facade, it allows you to put people into buckets, regardless of whether or not they actually fit in there. And it's also important to realize that you know folks like the Irish, you know, Irish versus the Brits and uh, all these other like they they. Or rather, the English, right? They they considered themselves extremely different, like completely, completely opposed to each other. So much so that when the Irish came over, they were the first—I'm not going to say slaves—but they were the first indentured servants, right? They tried to put them into slavery, 
And then if you if you recall your history with Bacon's Rebellion, you know, many of these Irish folks and many other people who were who were who the um colonials were trying to enslave, they rebelled together. Many of the Africans, right, rebelled along with the Irish and the other folks that were being enslaved. That was Bacon's Rebellion. And it was at that point that the colonialists realized that you had to separate them. That you had to put them in buckets and say, okay, these people are inherently inferior. And you you have some privilege, right? You have some, <laughs> you're better. <laughs> so you should, there's no reason for you to be working with these folks. You know, they belong where they are. But you you might have some, some, some <laughs> choice. So it was a kind of conscious effort to separate these people who all shared oppress, oppression. Furthermore, because, you know, the folks from Africa, right, they were going through a whole other war in Africa, fighting off, you know, all these European folks who just came down and tried to take the land and all this other stuff. And then, and then on top of that, there was infighting because, of course, Africa is not a freaking, you know, country. It's, it's thousands of different peoples who are just like any other, you know, group of people are, would fight each other, you know, for land, for this, for that and the other. And so this was a really bad time to be in Africa. Because not only did you have infighting between the different, you know, people who wanted to just do as normal and try to play the empire game. But you also now had to fight these new people who are coming in and want to, you know, colonize the whole place. War on two fronts. And so the people who were stolen, stolen away and brought to America and turned into slaves, nobody was really thinking about them that much. Whereas, you know, some of the Irish folks or some of the other folks that were, you know, being enslaved, they can write letters back to, you know, their folks in Europe and be like, hey, we can't be doing this, you know. <laughs> but that didn't really happen with many Africans. And all these people, once again, though largely they were taken from generally the same culture, sort of-ish, not really though. <laughs> many of them were taken from a number of different cultures along the Ivory Coast, along the the coastline and even some within you know central africa because there were extensive trade lines there were extensive trade going on there now i'm not going to go into the whole slavery problem or that there was slavery before because i've mentioned that many times before but once again it's the fact that all these people had different cultures when they came to america when they were brought to america when they were dragged kicking and screaming you know to america Many of these people had completely different cultures. But it's like oppression was like the, uh, it's like the freaking anvil, you know, trying to meld all these different people together. <laughs> and unfortunately, they kind of succeeded in that way, at least on the surface. And so many of us consider ourselves a part of the same culture because we all are quote unquote black. But we're not. And that's okay too. This is where I'm trying to again. It's, I'm on. I know I'm all over the place, but I'm trying to work through this stuff because this is an extremely complicated topic. Now I'm probably going to have to go longer than an hour, so <laughs> this is going to be a long one. Um, I didn't even get into my other two points, but it's like like we're we have a whole bunch of other different cultures within this quote unquote black community, this black you know thing. 
However, of course, we do share the fact that we were all, you know, oppressed, that we were many of us taken from Africa and put into the Americas and put into all these other places. You know, that's what we call the diaspora. Diaspora, or however you say it. And I think in that way we can share a sort of culture. And that we all kind of share, once again, the act of, of trying to liberate ourselves from that oppression. We, we do share that. However, going much beyond that gets you into shaky ground. And again, it may seem like kind of kind of silly things to say, oh yeah, um, many of us have some dancing skills or some artistic skills or whatever. But that's that's a serious kind of connotation. Because that bleeds right into this idea of, you know, hip hop, of rap culture or or of media being a good rendition of who we are as a individual people as individual peoples right like when does the buck stop when do the little funny little you know stereotypes or the funny little jokes you know when does it shift from being just a joke or just a you know a little little not-so-serious thing into being a serious thing. You're not going to be able to find a specific point. It's really a line in the sand. But being cognizant of that should allow you to at least be, be open in your language and in your understanding. So as a black person, you have to realize that being a black person does not describe you. You have to realize that taking pride for, you know, what we have accomplished as a oppressed peoples does not compensate or does not describe all of your own experience and your own identity. I think a lot of us go too far in identifying with this idea of being black. And likewise for white and, and any other type of racial construct. We go way too far in identifying as this completely made up race. And when you think about what is and is not your culture, if you are not within that culture, you can't say, you don't really have much to say about what is or is not another person's culture because you're not in it. All you're seeing is from the outside. You're from the out. You're, you're on the outside of the club. Are you? Why? What you say? I just messed it up. You know. Why are you hating from the outside of the club? You can't even get in. You know stuff like that. Like, like if you're outside of a culture, it's kind of, it's inherently discriminative and problematic to try and describe the other person's culture. The only thing you can really do. And have a quote-unquote right to say. Well, I'm not. You can say whatever you want, but that doesn't mean it's valid, <laughs> right? You can say whatever you want, but that doesn't mean there's actually any logic there or any real reasoning there. And if you're trying to critique somebody else's culture, if you're not in it, if you haven't actually studied it from within it, then actual ethnographic research, you know, 
and it doesn't have to be official ethnographic it could be like actually living with people you know there and hearing what they are talking about listening to how to their thoughts and to their ideas and all this other stuff like if you haven't done any of that your critique is just thinly veiled racism or supremacy where you view your own culture your own ethnographic way of viewing the world as some inherently better thing as the ruler to measure everyone else's culture by and this goes for anyone you know a lot of black people might do the same thing to quote unquote white culture but the difference is that once again this institutional racism aspect is the fact that people in power are by and large folks who believe that certain people deserve to be there to be in their respective spots and so they can you know their <laughs> thoughts of the world can very much stratify you know these kind of racial problems these racial identities but here's here's the kicker I don't think we will ever ever take down racism until we realize that racism is just one tool in the, the master's house, right? In the master's home. It's just one tool. The greater tool, in my opinion, and, and, and um, I'm starting to see more and more of this as I do a lot of research into history and things like that. The other tools are capitalism and statism. Now, of course, people are going to be like, ah, blah, 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 blah. every time you hear this, you know, folks begin to criticize, you know, the state or capitalism and stuff like that. You get people just completely lose their shit. But just realize that, once again, for most of human history, people were able to think about different peoples from a cultural standpoint as opposed to a racial standpoint. The only times in which people begin to see other folks as a racial construct is when those people themselves were a hierarchical system, a caste system, in which they saw the world from a hierarchical caste you know, standpoint, where they see certain people as, this is just who you are, and there's nothing else you can do about it. Right. If you look into history and into specifically how cultures regarded themselves and other people, you can actually see, you know, a difference between that. Even with, for instance, the Egyptians. Now, the Egyptians are very diverse folks, right? But there are certain dynasties within the Egyptians that were more hierarchical than others. Now, I don't remember the exact ones. I have to go back and do some more research on this. But you can see this in things like, you know, the hieroglyphics and how they view certain, you know, um, they would color certain faces. And those colors would usually be, you know, in certain positions as opposed to others. It's not, that was not because, you know, um, they view these people as, you know, they're like, well, there's, there's a lot of nuance there. Like the idea of black, for instance, was not really a thing. They viewed themselves as red because it was more about, it was more of a metaphorical thing. However, it's important to realize that you know their kind of eternal enemies and allies and frenemies was was the Nubians, who were mostly sort of you know darker skinned. 
right? And furthermore, certain dynasties within the Egyptians were very hierarchical, very colonial, colonial. And so they would also share this kind of hierarchical view of the world in some of their some of their depictions. However, that changed, right? When they were, you know, in in other in other in other dynasties, when they became less hierarchical. And I think you would see the same thing um, if you study, you know, the the Celts, the Celtic people, or the Vikings and things like that. Like I've seen some small amount of this, and now this is a sort of a theory here, and I want to, you know, look it up to back it up more. But my theory here is that hierarchy in and of itself, a hierarchical uh, society, is more likely to view others. In a hierarchical sense, in a racial sense, if not race, but then by some caste type of system, right? Then other more fluid uh, societies. For instance, another one, and I talked about this, uh, I think, yesterday or the day before, in terms of uh, Graber, David Graber and Wingwell. Well, they discovered that many Native Americans were extremely diverse once again in their societies turns out that they had a huge, a long history of kind of fighting back against hierarchical structures in fact they actually showed that there is a lot of anthropological data showing um, in the northwest of the Americas of America there was a group of Native Americans that were very hierarchical they had a um, pretty much a caste system they had you know the kings and queens and then they had the you know the ones below them the ones below them and then they had the slaves right while just below them and geographically like the people in the was present-day California they were more egalitarian and they would regularly go up to the other folks and try to free those slaves and the <laughs> and and you know the, those people and whenever they won, they would disband the whole city, the whole, you know, society, and try to teach people that, you know, these hierarchical structures are not, you know, good. So you see, there's a history of this problem of hierarchy being tied to not just xenophobia, but supremacist ideas. And so if we want to take apart racism... We have to also take apart statism, or rather, these vertical hierarchies in which we believe that some people deserve to have more authority, more power, over other people. It's a very simple idea if you look at it. Like we all know that power corrupts. <laughs> and so, and the longer you have people with power the more likely it will be to corrupt them or other folks for that power. Particularly power over other people. There's different types of power. Power over power versus power with versus power to, things like that. And so if you have power over other people, you're inherently going to believe that you deserve that power. Even though there's no actual basis for it. And once again, this is a psychological... Um, um, fat 
right? Once again, they did the study. I mentioned this before about the monopoly, where people were, were randomly given, you know, monopoly, uh, like different amounts of monopoly uh, money. And the people who were given more money, you know, won in the end of the game, and they thought themselves as deserving of winner of being the winners versus the others and they, they thought the others the, the losers as deserving to be lo to to lose like they were just not good at the game or were lazy or this that and the other right this is a, <laughs> the, the 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 most fundamental elementary example of this power corrupts problem once again it was randomly assigned there was no skill involved they just they just won because they were given more money <laughs> to start with right or money and property and all that stuff so like the very act of living in a hierarchical society creates within it the institutions and the systems in which facilitate racism facilitate you know kind of slave mentality facilitate this idea that certain people are better than other people So yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and end this part and move on to the next point. Finally, <laughs> I'll try to try to keep the next points a little shorter. But to recap all of that, I had to work through all of that. Like <laughs> to recap all of that, in order to for us to take to get rid of the idea of race and to stop obsessing over race, we have to get rid of the idea of institutions, the idea of other people having more power more things more more you know influence over other folks and in doing so we will naturally fall not naturally fall but we will naturally create a the 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 space for us to think more in a in, in a more egalitarian way however it doesn't it's not automatic right we also have to then create a culture maybe not then i think we can do both actually both, you know, take down this idea of hierarchies and at the same time create cultures in which we encourage egalitarian behavior. Egalitarian as in, you know, equal. As in viewing others as just other people. Viewing difference as difference, not as better or worse. Just because something is different doesn't mean you have to automatically put it into a better or worse category. There's very many different ways of categorizing people and you can, you know, categorizing them as worse or better is not a good one. <laughs> so those are the, some of the, 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 the kind of master's tools that we have, to, we have to take apart and we have to stop using. We have to destroy in order for us to take down the master's home. But let me move on. Okay, so finally we get into this other stuff. And this is all going to, you know, come together as well, I think. <laughs> so Dave Chappelle and this whole thing with his skip. Now, once again, like I said in the beginning, I don't really care about Dave Chappelle. I think, yeah, he has some talent, you know, but I was never a huge fan. I think he does have some funny skits and all this other stuff. He does have some talent. I, I understand why people like him. But at the same time, he's one of those folks um, that have a chip on their shoulder. All right. And uh, Double Toast has said this well. It's like he has a chip on his shoulder and he kind of is purposely goading people to knock it off, to like 
<laughs> you know, to, to grapple with him. Like, he's literally starting a war just because he, he feels some kind of way. Right? And so, it's important to uh, note. So, apparently, the reason why he, he, he did this, he's starting this war or whatever, he's feeling this type of way, is because he apparently had a friend who was, you know, trans. And uh, he, or he befriended this, this trans person, this trans woman, um, and was kind of taking them under, under, under his wing to, uh, you know, as a comedian and all this other stuff. And he said some other off-color jokes before, and people were, you know, getting on, getting on him for it. And that trans woman was, um, of course, defending Dave publicly on Twitter, stuff like that. And uh, apparently she, well, definitely she, you know, committed suicide. But apparently he believes, and other folks believe, that it was because of this internet trolling. As people who were bullying her or harassing her because she was supporting Dave, despite him, you know, making whatever sort of homophobic comments or jokes or whatever. All right, so he believes himself in the right to critique or criticize the quote unquote transgender community and the LGBTQI plus community because of this. Now that I didn't see all, I didn't see his, you know, special, and I'm not going to because it's kind of a waste of time for me. But I've seen, you know, many, many, um, um, kind of critiques on it, or generally what happened, right? <laughs> um, the things in, in, in question. And uh, what's interesting to note is like, I like Double Toasted. They do great, you know, reviews, and they, they noted that a lot of his jokes in the first two thirds of his special was just not that great. <laughs> all right, he was kind of punching down very a lot, you know, it was kind of ranting um and which he's done like he i've seen one of his last specials and he was like pretty much just ranting the whole time um <laughs> which you can do if you want to but the fact that you you know people pay to go to his concert or his his, his uh whatever his performance and he just rants the entire time and not does what he you know wanted people to pay for him to do is kind of kind of crazy you know like if you did that at your job you would be fired so <laughs> but anyways let, let's not get into that so Many of his jokes were kind of off-color or just um, punching down or just not, just wasn't that funny. Of course, other people say, oh, yeah, it was great. I loved the whole special, all right? And then the latter half of his special, he says, you know, things like, oh, I'm, I'm team turf, um, which apparently is, that's I, that's not something I was familiar with. I looked that up, but it's it's a trans-exclusive, um, trans-exclusive um, um, feminist, basically. Uh, or trans exclusive radical feminist, yeah, that's the full thing, uh, which is really weird to me because you know, um, trans trans transgender issues is is very much a huge part of you know feminism, um, as well as you know, uh, the problems of patriarchy and things like that, and how men see themselves as a huge part of feminism. But that is one of the problems with you know, some parts of feminism. Some people call it you know the kind of kind of white liberal woman feminism is that you view where you view you know other women as above men instead of, instead of trying to equalize or balance the playing field you're trying to you know um just do the same thing as patriarchy but the other way um that's a whole other you know problem or or aspect to all of this but anyways 
So he, he was calling out J.K. Rowling because she's a quote-unquote turf. Um, he was saying, I'm team turf. And then he had this whole story about, you know, what I just explained with his friend, the transgender woman. And he pointed out how he, you know, helps out the transgender community and all this other stuff. And um, he ends it by saying something along the lines of what did the transgender community do for his friend who killed themselves because of harassment by the quote unquote transgender community. Right. And so many people view this as like, oh, yeah, you know, he has a point, you know, all these people with cancel culture. A very this, that, and the other. The LGBTQI plus, they're not very tolerant, this, that, and the other. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Now, people are going to argue back and forth between all this. But you know me. I like to get into the into the, the, the core of the problem. And to me, I think the core of the problem is, once again, what I was just explaining with the idea of race and culture. It's this idea that there is a monolithic transgender or LGBTQI plus culture or community to me that is deeply problematic it's just the same problem with viewing a certain race as the quote unquote black community right it's it's, it's silly it's dumb it's stupid it, it goes against the whole idea of people right if it, it facilitates this entire problem of once again conflating a whole bunch of different cultures into one giant culture just because you're not familiar with the distinguishing the, the all the distinguishing bits of all these different cultures and how they the only thing that they share once again is that they are people who are oppressed because they are different that's the only thing they share with each other you know one part of the quote unquote gen gender community can be completely different than another part just like some aspects of the quote unquote black community can be completely different than other quote unquote black people right and to me this this is really concerning because dave chappelle like i said he, he to me he always seems like a very how do i say this like he he does try to do well like, I have seen him trying to help out these different communities and this, that, and the other. But like any other person, he can be extremely ignorant. But unlike other people, he has a huge voice. And so whenever you find people who are very ignorant and with a huge voice, they can do a lot of damage. Because they think that they're doing well. They think they're doing the good thing. They think they are in the right they think they are correct. They have a chip on their shoulder saying, I'm just trying to help. All right? I'm just trying to do this. But then they don't understand the core of the problem. And so they just perpetuate the problem. People always, you know, like a lot of the, the fact that a lot of people are even up in arms about quote unquote cancel culture is a huge, you know, <laughs> red flag to me is a huge point in this direction. It's like everybody who's worried about quote unquote cancel culture is like being worried <laughs> it's like being worried about, you know, facing the consequences of your actions. It's like <laughs> you know, cancel culture is not an actual thing. It's a phenomenon that has general patterns that sort of kind of look the same. And so you say anybody that cancels anybody is all the same type of person. Once again, we're conflating all these people into the same bucket. And then we're just we're, we're ascribing to them certain characteristics like, oh, they're snowflakes. 
oh, they're they're uh, uh, offended, <laughs> you know, things like this. And it's so silly to me because it's just like, huh, these people really don't see it. I'm not gonna say I'm the like, the most, you know, like I see everything. No, I just I just think about things. I just you know try to have a dialectic. I've been, <laughs> like what you see in this podcast, I'm just trying to figure out these things for myself. But what what I had noticed is that we're too often people are conflating all of this stuff. Like you have no idea what was going on in that woman's life, and uh, Dave's friend, the the trans woman. You have no idea what was going on in her life. You have no idea if the Twitter, you know, harassment was the actual cause or if it was something else. And even if it was the Twitter harassment, because don't get me wrong, cyberbullying is really big of a problem. That doesn't mean that that you're going to attack the entire trans community or the entire group of people who only share the fact that they are trans or the fact that they, you know, have dealt with these sorts of issues. Many of them, some of them who don't even deal with these issues, right? Like, <laughs> so, like, the idea of of being a, a turf, right, of being a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, it also seems like one of those reactionary things. It's like, oh, I don't like, I don't like, uh, um, um, Black Lives Matter, so I'm gonna say All Lives Matter, right? I don't like, you know, the Black Lives Matter. So I'm going to say all blue lives matter, right? It's a reactionary thing. It's not even an actual stance. <laughs> and furthermore, it's not really based in any sort of actual evidence or anything like that. Right? People, and rather, rather, I'm going to say this. Maybe it might be based on some sort of perceived logic or anything like that. But what's actually the problem is that it perpetuates the core of the problem. Right, many turfs, many people who believe that transgender people are not real, right? They view them as not real. They view them as like inhuman in a way. Like many transgender people, especially of color, are murdered, are like harassed in the real world because of who they are. And so when you say, "Oh, I'm a, I'm a turf," right? What are you actually saying? Because the vast majority of this kind of turf ideology seems to be, oh, let's put these, you know, let's ignore the existence of, of trans people. It's, you know, maybe I might be wrong about that. You know, maybe I'll, I'll look it up and see. But it certainly seems to me and to a lot of people who use this ideology of the turfs that they're ignoring the existence of transgender people. Just like people would ignore the existence of homosexual people. We have to remember, like, a couple years ago, not too long ago, people love to, you know, say, oh, you know, gay, being gay is not real. People are just, you know, making this up. People are just, they could just choose to be gay, right? <laughs> that wasn't very long ago, y'all. But specifically, this was a problem. This, this was a recent problem of people, you know, viewing homosexuality as sinful, right? It came from these puritanistic ideas, from this monocultural um, idea of a, you know, of from the Jesuits and things like that, from the folks who 
believed that you know the world has to exist in this hierarchical structure this hierarchical way and everything else you know was was bad if it did not um follow that and many other cultures and the native americans the africans you know a lot of these different cultures throughout rather i should say throughout africa and throughout the americas there were many people in those cultures who were non-binary who were transgender who were gay, lesbian, this, that, and the other. And you can see this, and once again, in the anthropological data. This is a common part of human history. The fact that people are trans, non-binary, all around, along the spectrum of gender and gender expression. The fact that people view, you know, gender as a, bio- as a purely biological construct as saying, oh, it's sex, right? It's, it's a... If you have a male part or a female part, you are a disgender. That is literally the same problem as viewing race from a purely biological construct. Just because there are some physical differences does not mean that there are psychological you know, aspects that your social behaviors follows those physical differences. When you conflate people all into the same bucket, you're ignoring the sheer amount of complex just amazing you know stuff that goes on in the human mind this is a huge part as to why social constructs social ideas culture is such a nebulous thing because it's a product of the mind of this non-physical thing that we can barely map to the physical elements of our brains much less our bodies so even though you know you do have people who yes there are male parts and female parts you know (laughs) that does not mean how people express themselves you know follows along the same buckets in which you think to people should express themselves and that's another huge part of this that's another huge problem and this is why I really want to write about gender in general Like, I think gender, similarly to race, should be deconstructed. The fact that we view people as male and female, and therefore they have this roles and this, this, that, this characteristics and that characteristics, that's completely bunk, right? The idea that just because you have some sort of physical, you know, elements means that you have to, you know, behave in a certain way, or that you should behave in a certain way, is deeply problematic and really anti-human. <laughs> That's just not not how humans historically behave. That's part of what the what makes our brains so very complex and interesting. Is that just because we have some physical things that does not constrain our behaviors? Because, like I said in one of the past episodes, we as humans. Though we are similar to other animals in that we are just like other animals, and like and that we respond to our environments. However, unlike other animals, we can create our own environments in our minds. We can simulate environments through our neocortex. We can simulate completely made-up environments and then adapt to those environments. Right? Right? We we adapt our behaviors based on our perceived environments. So, our environment can be anything, anything from you know the physical. Uh, the the physical sh- traits of like, like ra- rather the geographic you know areas that we live in, or it could be our physical biological bodies can be environment. 
the psychological, you know, way that we view ourselves is another environment. The social construct of our culture is another environment. You know, the political construct, that's another environment. Like, we, we make up environments all the time. And that's how, you know, we create our behaviors and our expressions and our ideas of ourselves. And so to look at something like, you know, gender and saying, oh, yes, this is how people should behave. You're just, you're not even conscious anymore, man. Like, <laughs> Graeber said it, said, said it really well. In that uh, dialogue, he said, um, for a long time of human history, philosophical people like philosophers and thinkers have deemed consciousness, have thought about consciousness as a matter of social, um, as a social kind of behavior. He says something along the lines of consciousness is very much a dialectic. It's best experienced through conversation. Right. And so for most of human history, people thought that humans were most conscious when we were having conversations. That's why you had all these philosophical dialogues between, you know, Aristotle and Crato and or Plato and all these other people and, you know, the Stoics and this, that and the other, you know, because they thought that the, mo the, 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 the best part of being human, the best part of our consciousness was having a conversation. And... When you have that conversation in your mind or with other people, you become more conscious. But if you're just going with the with the 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 flow, if you not the flow, but like if you just aren't actually thinking about how the world works and how it doesn't work and all this other stuff, if you're not having that conversation in your mind or with other people, then are you really conscious? You're just basically sleepwalking. I mentioned that yesterday too, right? You have these these sleepwalkers who can get up and you know drive or get food out of the the clock, out of the refrigerator and all this other stuff because most of, and this goes all the way back to my idea of free will, right? Most of us don't really think about what we're doing on a daily basis. Most of what we do is a routine. We learn how things work and then we just go through that routine over and over again. And if you're not having a conversation about about you know how the world works in your mind or with other people then you're just going through those routines over and over again so how are you conscious this is why it's so important to have a conversation about things like gender and to realize that yes there is a conversation to be had gender is not so simple as a oh you have male parts therefore this is how you should behave you have female parts this is what you should do no <laughs> There's a whole complex spectrum and all this other stuff involved. And being able to think about that, being able to realize that it's not so simple as a, you know, a binary yes or no, this or that, a hierarchy. The more you're able to embrace, or really the more you're able to think about different things, the more you're able to appreciate diversity, the more you're able to ideate the more you're able to innovate the more you're able to you know handle complex thoughts in the first place so to me when i see you know dave Chappelle say things like oh i'm team turf what has the transgender community done for her i see a person who is not thinking 
who was just following the <laughs> the routine of um, homophobia and transphobia and things like that, and thinking that it's 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 a simple yes or no binary, everybody's the same, put everybody in this box type of thing. Like, no, man, come on. And especially somebody with that voice, with that amount of people listening to him. This this is this this was an opportunity, and that that what that's the difference to me at least with good comedy and bad comedy. Yeah, you can make jokes about anything. But bad comedy makes jokes about people. Bad comedy makes fun of people. Punches down and say, oh, you're blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's like the mean bully who thinks they're funny because they're making fun of people. And the, and the, and the folks who are laughing with them, you know, they, they want to feel like the bully. They want to feel some level of power. And so they laugh along too. That's not good comedy. Good comedy makes you think a little bit, and you'd be like, huh. So what if it, w- it was a little bit different, right? Good comedy allows you to critique how the world works and consider what if, you know, it was different. If you're just following the same status quo, you're not actually critiquing the world. People think they're critiquing the world because they're, you know, critiquing cancel culture. Cancel culture is, is against the status quo. That's the whole job of cancel culture. Is being like, okay, that was cool before, but it's not cool anymore. Let's let's think about this other thing, right? And once again, it's not even an actual culture because some people, you know, disagree on what should be quote unquote canceled. Some people are like, okay, this is good, this is not. Other people are like, no, this is good, this is not. And you have all these other folks, you know, <laughs> having this conversation about at least trying to have a conversation about what is okay, what is not okay, you know, where we're we gonna go, where we're we gonna take our culture. The culture as in the America or uh, as in their, you know, the quote-unquote black community or this, that. At least they're trying to have a conversation. But the people who are critiquing, quote-unquote, cancel culture, they're just trying to remain with the status quo. Because they remember a time when it was like this and when people didn't, you know, get up in arms about it. When they say, oh, you're being too sensitive. What you're really saying is, oh, you're <laughs> I don't like the fact that you're questioning this. Back in my day, people didn't question how things worked. You know, if you didn't, if you didn't like it, you shut up and put up with it, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you're being too sensitive. Like, like, come on, bro. <laughs> this is how culture changes. This is why culture changes, and this is why we. It's. I would love to bring a lot of the quote unquote black experience, the black identity, into a cultural standpoint because then you you have to you kind of naturally partake in this critique you know this natural this adaptation is this this change this process of change and it's messy yeah but it's important so that's what really you know frustrates me about this dave Chappelle issue that he's just he's just not really thinking (laughs) and he has a chip on his shoulder he's like conflating what he experienced maybe he does experience some real pain maybe that really was his friend but when you look at everybody else as the enemy when you're conflating all these people into one thing you're just goading everybody along you're saying oh you all belong in this one thing you're literally doing the same thing that has happened to you in terms of being a black person the fact that many people look at us and we say oh you're all the same because you know that's who you are right and, you, and then you have those quote-unquote coons who like, 
you know, behave a certain way, then the black community, the quote unquote black community turns against them and then the white people were like, Oh, see you're <laughs> you're fighting amongst yourselves, yeah, you niggers. <laughs> let me let me stop, let me stop. <laughs> but like seriously, man, like when you conflate, you know, just all these people into one bucket, you're almost always going down the wrong path. And that's what I see is the problem with with uh, this whole turf idea and this whole, um, or really the whole idea of oh, this is the LGBTQ community and this is the snowflakes and all this other stuff that is being o- o- offended. <laughs> People are just annoyed. They're frustrated. They they want change, and we're trying to figure out how to change. I forgot the last point I was going to talk about. I think it was was it was was it, was it gender? What was the last point? I think it may have been gender. But yeah, like, I basically just covered that aspect as well. But I think um, gender should be abolished or it should be less so, less important. Because, once again, it's one of those things. And this is really one of the more foundational aspects of what makes hierarchical structures institutions so powerful is the is the, it starts at home right the hierarchy of the family you can call it patriarchy whatever you whatever but or you can just call it you know you might think of it as uh the the social dominant structure the the alpha male type of thing which once again doesn't exist in the in nature <laughs> um the idea, the idea that there is some sort of hierarchy in your family, when the the, the father comes first, or, the, or God comes first, and then it's the father, then the mother, you know, and the kids, that's a deeply, deeply concerning and problematic idea, and that is at the basis as to of of this hierarchical kind of society throughout Western culture, because once again. Let's go back to these, you know, Native Americans and these um, indigenous African folks. Many people who had egalitarian societies, they fought to develop that. And this is where I made a mistake, too, in my past podcast about how um, hunter-gatherer cultures naturally created an egalitarian um, environment. That's not true turns out that an egalitarian environment or an egalitarian culture society has to be developed and you might think that 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 means that oh um, that means a the other one is natural but no that's a again that's a binary way of thinking it remember the human mind is extremely complex and and um, diverse there is not one that is more inherent than the other whether it is egalitarian or you know, or it seems to be not one. Whether it's egalitarian or a kind of social hierarchy structure, neither one is more inherent. It seems to be the case that it highly depends. It's, a, it's, a, it's sort of kind of on a spectrum. It highly depends on a number of different things to determine, you know, which one is going to. Um, 
be created or be influenced or be encouraged. Social dominance tends to um, be more likely to happen in a highly scarce environment. Right? Where certain it could be a sort of might makes right type of situation or or again it's not just it's a, it's a huge nuance or it could be a you know a protector type of situation where you know um certain people certain elements of the species whether it's humans or other animals can can hunt more can can find the food and then they decide to divvy it out to you know their family so it's a more um altruistic type of hierarchy type of origins of that social hierarchy Versus, you know, um, an egalitarian structure, right? And in times of plenty and, and abundant re- uh, um, environments, it's more likely, tends to be more likely, that egalitarian nature or structure uh, evolves. Where people naturally are sharing everything and all this other stuff because there's plenty to go around. And likewise, when you begin to build a social structure on top of that, Right, it depends. That's when it, the, the consciousness comes in, where you're, where you're now thinking about, okay, w- which one do we actually want to live in? And we have to remember, humans were just as smart as we are today, hundred thousand years ago, two hundred thousand years ago, when we evolved into our current species. They are very similar to where we are today. Maybe even smarter in, in many ways, because they had to retain that memory and and um. Um, body kind of bodily use and all this other stuff like they use a lot a lot more of their brain than we do today for the most part maybe some parts of our brain you know we use a little bit more today like you know the neocortex or um, not well some parts of the neocortex prefrontal cortex maybe I don't know I have to look more into it but anyways like (laughs) we had the same level of intelligence for a very very long time and so just like today, we were able to think about what type of family or what type of society do we want to live in. When we got together with a lot of people, people began to create, you know, rules. When that a lot of people became thousands of people, we began to create constitutions. And those constitutions very much uh, varied. In societies in which you view, you know, a woman or a man or anywhere in between non-binary or really any, any type of person as belonging to a certain role, right? That society will, more, will be more likely to see the world, once again, from a hierarchical standpoint. I, I don't think I have to say all this again, I don't think, but... It's the same thing on multiple levels. When you view the world from a hierarchical standpoint, you're going to see everything else as part of that. And you're going to think, you're going to justify different parts of our society as naturally hierarchical. If you view the family that way, you know, the the, the politics that way, different people that way you're going to automatically just p- put people into these hierarchical structures 
But if you view the world from a egalitarian standpoint, realize people are in a cycle and that there's, you know, kind of complex relationship between different peoples for different reasons, then you inherently have a more adaptive view of the world. Where you realize that just because somebody's different from you does not mean they are better or worse than you. It just means they have different um, skills or different behaviors. And it's a matter of how they fit into your life. We know for a fact that our current society encourages and creates more narcissism. Narcissism is not something that is inherent. It is not biological. It is social. But it becomes biological. Meaning, like you may not, you can't really inherit a narcissistic personality, but you can, like your brain does become narcissistic as if you're raised by narcissists or if you're raised in a society in which encourages narcissistic behavior. Your brain begins to structure along those patterns, those neurological patterns. It's crazy how, how amazing that is. It's not nature versus nurture, it's both. So, in a society where we view, you know, gender as a binary construct, and this is very hard to kind of talk about because, unfortunately, English, the English language, is inherently um, binary in its language, is inherently gender um, specific. Well, not even, not as much as other languages, but the fact that we have a word for he, they, he, she, you know, they, stuff like that, and that's, that's basically where it stops. That's the failing of our language, not of the concept of gender. Many languages have many other words, common use words, for people who are not, you know, in this binary construct. They have you know, all sorts of words, you know, these two spirits and, you know, all this other stuff. Like many African cultures had, you know, names for people. In, I think they had like four, five, six different types of pronouns. <laughs> Maybe even more. Some had up to nine different types of pronouns for, for people. That was inherent in their language because their culture realized that gender was a spectrum. Like gender as an idea was to them fundamentally not binary. It was fundamentally not male-female. It was a matter of all these other, you know, things. And unfortunately, that's very difficult for us native English speakers and really anybody that comes from the kind of um, um, Latin or uh, kind of Western languages uh, because this entire kind of branch of <laughs> languages has been uh, very much stratified along those gender lines and things like that so it's difficult for us to even think about this like that way and it's at the same time it's it's very at least in terms of modern day you know what's going on today it's very heartening it's very promising that people are trying to create these different types of pronouns with the english language the you know the use of uh, z the the xe and the they and the ar and you know, all this other stuff like it's it's super cool that we're somehow you know rejiggering the english language to be more open. 
Because a lot of people like to say, oh, there's male and female, therefore there's only two categories of, of gender, of, of people on that level. But that's just a limitation, once again, of the language. And the mind is very much constrained and, and, and um, just like, you know, with narcissism, things like that. You don't, you don't inherit, 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 or, uh, goodness. You don't, um, you're not born with language. But when you learn language, it restructures your brain along those lines of, of how your language works. You begin to think in the, in the realm of your language. And you, therefore your thoughts are constrained by your language. So the fact that many people view, you know, gender as a as a binary thing is a f function of the constraints of our language. Once again, not the constraints of the gender. I've said that like five times over, because <laughs> I again I'm trying to work through this myself, and unfortunately English is the only language I know, so it's difficult for me to go beyond that. Because logically, I know that there are more, you know, genders, but it's hard for me to to think about like how to explain this, how to explain that spectrum, how to explain that so we can more, more intuitively understand the difference. Like it's not just a it's not just a semantic thing. It's not just a oh, they just want to express themselves in a weird way. No, no, it's a f more fundamental thing. Wow. Sorry, I'm looking at the <laughs> These uh, these giant um plants, and it's like seeding, like the uh, kind of like a uh, shoot. What do you call those plants? Where you where you blow the little seeds and they dandelion. Goodness, my my words. Like I usually only see very small little dandelions, but these are huge. Like I'm looking at a fence, and they're peeking over the fence. I'm not sure if they're dandelions or something similar, but they're like a whole bushel of them. And it was wind brew, and it's just a whole bunch of them just spreading out everywhere. It's really beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, but um, yeah, like, unfortunately, I'm not sure if 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 many people will even be able to grasp this sort of concept. So for me, I'm mostly doing this for myself and for those that actually want to understand this, because it's easy for us to kind of ignore the struggles of transgender people and. And um, people all along the spectrum of, of, you know, sexuality and things like that. Because our language, once again, constrains our thoughts. But we have to realize that our idea of gender is essentially crafted by our culture. It is not a biological construct yes there are biological parts to it but just like with um race that's it's it's created yeah there are physical distinctions between you know a uh um a person like the fact that i have black skin and i have you know melanin in my in my, in my genes in my dna or whatever in my cells you know is 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 very much different than a person who does not and just like I may have a, you know, male genitalia, what, what you what you would call male genitalia, <laughs> you know, it's a physical thing, and that may, you know, create 
more you know testosterone and more certain types of chemicals in my brain yes there are you know these distinctions but that does not mean that I will behave in a certain way or that I will value a certain thing or a certain um, set of things once again that the physical and even the genetic um, elements of what makes us humans or what makes us people does not in any way fully describe our psychological identities even with kind of simpler animals right animals in which we don't seem to be able to you know recognize any sort of consciousness within them they tend to have a more complex you know kind of gender or sexual you know um thing or sexual kind of behavior and 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 um aspects than we <laughs> even we give to ourselves like for instance there's animals and insects that you know in some seasons they're male they're quote-unquote male in some seasons they're quote-unquote female right they're <laughs> like i say quote-unquote because even though we, we can say they 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 are male and female according to our categories you have to sometimes think about what is life for them like if you were a conscious snail or a conscious, you know, frog or whatever, in which your gender changes, in which your the the very function of your being changes, or the function of your physical traits changes depending on the weather, like I don't think you would have a concept of gender, a binary concept of gender like we do. That's like, like if our skin changes between, you know, kind of like if we were all like Michael Jackson. You know, I don't think we would have such an easy concept of race. Like we wouldn't even begin to think about race in those ways. That would never even we would never even construct a language around that because our you know skin color would change over as we age or change to, to, due to this that and other circumstances. So we would never even create the idea of race or the idea of skin as a you know. Um, as a behavioral, you know, predictor, predictor model, like it just it just wouldn't even occur. Similarly, the only reason why we think about the term the terms of gender and sexual identity is because we seem to have some sort of generally, you know, um, gen, uh, genetics or or genital con- uh, constructs, you know, genital physical traits or physical phenomena <laughs> that seems to uh, stay the same right however once again as conscious beings and as beings just with the with the brain it changes there's, there's so much more complexity in there and I, I feel like I'm not really getting I'm not really explaining this well enough maybe I am I don't know but I, I, I wish I was able to explain this better. I might just have to keep it there because I don't know what else I can say without repeating myself once again. But I don't know. Just just the idea is, is really silly that we view gender and you know as such a binary thing, as such a hard concept when it's very soft, it's very nebulous. There are some things, yes, that is that is consistent and that is you know generally there but they're not they're, they're they they don't they don't even serve as anchor points you know sometimes they do sometimes you can say okay everybody that has a you know 
um, a vagina, you know, uh, or, or a womb, you know, these, they, they are the only ones who can have babies, you know, <laughs> the only ones who can hold a child in their stomach, um, <laughs> and, and birth it out, but beyond that, like, you're getting into, uh, you're getting into really shaky territory, because beyond that, it lies the, the, the realm of cultural and social ideas, and, and all of that completely changes how we act, I would like to think that, you know, boys and girls behave a certain way because of how we, because of, you know, the their genitalia. <laughs> but, no, like in many other societies, um, we see this, that the, you know, quote-unquote boys and girls, they can come up to be completely different based on how you raise them, based on what the overall culture raises them as. And... We have to figure out how to balance this. How to balance the the fact that there are some sort of consistencies between our biologies, between you know, you know, some people who share a penis, for instance, you know, <laughs> they might have mm-hmm. some of these consistencies, whether it's testosterone level or the existence of um, this amount of testosterone, the existence of you know, typically uh, more. Um, um, uh, muscle mass and, and, and this region of their bodies, you know, there are these consistencies, but at the same time, we have to square that with the fact that much of our brains and th- therefore much of how we act and behave and think is largely created and, and I don't want to say manipulated, but like formed, you know, molded by our culture. So even though we have these consistencies, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to exhibit the same type of behavior or thoughts or values as somebody else who has those same consistencies. And there's, unfortunately, it's very difficult to really, you know, grasp this and to really um, talk about this even in our language. That's what I'm finding it difficult to do right now. But I hope we can get there. And I think we can if we get rid of this whole hierarchical structure. Because then people's minds will be able to open up more into realizing that the world doesn't exist, doesn't have to exist in this binary, you know, this is better, this is worse, you know, this is um, superior, this is inferior type of mindset. People can open their minds to a more complex and more flexible, more dynamic thought patterns, more, I would say, conscious thought patterns. But, uh, I guess I might end it there. I don't know if I can recap all this. But, um, yeah. In short, I do think there are definitely biological consistencies. There are definitely, you know, reasons as to why we we, we would create gender, of course, obviously. But that does not mean that we should continue this idea of gender because, in my mind, it seems to be extremely limiting. And it leaves us far too open to making far too many mistakes and everything from our reasoning to our um, cultural, uh, cultural dynamicism even to our medical practices and we see this, this like this is a huge problem with medicine today 
is that people think, you know, um, quote unquote, male and female, you know, behave a certain way or, or exhibit, you know, certain similarities just because they are male, just because they are female. But then they get, you know, overdosed all the time or underdosed, even though, again, once again, they seem to exhibit the same, the same um, con- uh, consistencies. But the way that their brain was structured or the unique, you know, chemical super of their bodies or whatever, you know, means that they react totally different to medicine in which you which you previously thought was what should be consistent between all people of of the quote unquote male or the quote unquote female, you know, body. And we see this as as a problem in medicine. So I think we need to go beyond this idea of a binary gender. Because all around it will it will allow us a, a better conversation and a better understanding of how the human mind and how the human body works. And uh, we'll be able to uh, just explain the complex realities a lot more. I really, really think this can be done. But of course it's going to be difficult to uh, get out of this this pit we've we've uh, found ourselves in and that some of us are digging ourselves further and further into by refusing to even think about why people are critiquing um, the status quo and and things like things we we thought were were um, solid like gender or race like there's a reason people are critiquing the, the, these things, but if you don't realize that people are critiquing the, these things for a valid reason, then uh, you're just gonna dig yourself further in, into that hole. So yeah, <laughs> hope that uh that has helped me. This has helped me to uh, kind of get my thoughts together. I think I'll be able to write about it a little bit better, hopefully. But I hope it helped you as well to uh, marshal your own thoughts and to look at this from different perspectives. Um, if you already knew all of this, then at least at the very least, I hope you can now recognize or have some empathy for the people that aren't, that are intolerant. Not not in terms of, oh, it's okay that they're like that. No, it's not okay. But in terms of understanding why they are like that. At the very least, I hope you can understand that intolerant people, though they should not be tolerated, like we should need to, we need to show them that that they're wrong and why they're wrong. You can't view them as, or it's, I think it's wrong for them, wrong for you to view them as evil people or even as stupid people. I think that's another aspect that I forgot to really cover too much, but just just briefly, that's another part of this problem of the quote unquote cancel culture is like some people. And this, who are who are very excited to critique, you know, um, the status quo and how things are done and all this other stuff. Many people, or some people, view folks who I'm not even talking about the trolls and the people who are obviously, you know, have hate boners. Like, don't even worry about them. Like, they're just gonna be. You can probably view them as, as evil if you want to, you know, because they kind of choose these these uh to behave that way. Um, or 
I mean, maybe I don't know. You can get into the conversation. You, you don't really know what's in people's minds. That's another aspect. But <laughs> what I'm what, what I mean to say here is that many people don't have a fundamentally good view of the world and I say good as in a dynamic view of the world a, a, a view in which allows them to see things from different perspectives in which allows them to partake in this conversation this dialectic of what is possible what is not and um, why we do the things that we do and why we should question how we do things and all. many people don't even have that capability because their entire life they were raised to believe that the world works in a certain way. Right? And so when they are saying all of these people are when they're going against um when they're essentially being intolerant, when they're being mean or rude or whatever to LGBTQI plus people or you know black people or whoever else, you have to realize that this is how they were raised. This is what they believe the world to be. And though I agree that we should not necessarily tolerate them, like it's, it's not okay that this is their behavior, at the same time, it's, it's not beneficial to see these people as evil or as stupid or as, you know, um, some other bad word, right? It's just, it's just not beneficial. It's not going to help you in making a difference. You have to understand why they think that way if you just assume that they think that way just because you know they're evil then you're not it doesn't allow you to have that conversation anything that doesn't allow you to have a conversation is almost always a bad thing right it almost always kind of it's a shortcut and the brain our brain does that a lot it makes it makes us makes these shortcuts to logic to making to understanding the world because the brain's job is not necessarily or the brain in general Right? It's just another organ. It's trying to do its job as efficiently as possible. And that job is to, you know, uh, facilitate the neurochemical signals, which is like, you know, when, when a signal comes in, send another signal out. Very simple. <laughs> it's not necessarily to control the rest of the body. That's that's like the command command center idea. That's not really you know, accurate because many of the cells, they have their own command centers. That's the DNA, you know. But, um... The brain, for the for the most part, is like a signal center. So it's, it's a central area for signals to come in and, 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 and to go out. And signals, I'm very much simplifying this, but the signals that most people are taught and are raised to see are the only ones they're usually able to see and the only ones they're usually able to even think about. And so if you want to, you know show these people something different you have to um, begin opening them up to other ideas I'm not going to say it's your job to educate them right obviously people should be able to educate themselves however <laughs> you know, it's never that simple it does help to begin you know educating them and of course you can't you can't change them you can't you know, um, give these people everything they need to know. You can't guarantee that they're going to change. It's not your job to do so. None of that. No, it's not so simple. It's just a fact of the matter. Like these people are literally. It's it's very hard for people to even per, per, perceive of these different things. It's very hard for people to conceptualize a different way of viewing the world. 
And so you have to put these signals out there. And over time, you know, people will begin to acclimate and begin to adapt and everything like that. This is why it's so important to focus more of the efforts, not on trying to change people or trying to educate people or anything like that, but in first you trying to educate yourself about why the world is this way. Because you yourself, even if you're a very inclusive person and very open person, if you don't understand the underlying issues as to why we even in this world, then you're going to advocate for things that don't even matter. I see this all the time in the quote-unquote left. Right? This is why I began to learn more about anarchies. Not just because of whatever. It's because I seriously think this is the basis of our problems today. Right? A lot of the left... and this Again, I don't like to make that distinction between the left and the right. There's a huge amount of um, variance here. But for the most part, at least in America, you know, a lot of the left kind of deem themselves as liberals, as, you know... We want to make the world a better place versus conservatives and who want to kind of keep the status quo. Um, and again, that's a deep simp- oversimplification. There's a lot of the right, I think, who has some good points. You might be surprised for me to hear that. Um, but most of that comes from the fact that they, you know, a lot of times believe in um, less government. And I think less government is, is ideal. But anyways, let's <laughs> go beyond that. But what I'm trying to say here is that if you believe that the, the way to change the world is to advocate for, you know, the government to do something, <laughs> then you're already going down the wrong path, unfortunately. And again, I know, I know you're probably going to disagree if you think this way. You're probably gonna, not going to want to believe me and all this other stuff. You're going to say blah, 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 blah. That's what I'm saying. This, this is why you should educate yourself. Just like, you know, it's not my job to educate you, but I'm going to. If I, if, if I can, and I'll say, look up, you know, all these, what I've been saying about anarchy, about um, the, the origins of, of racism, about the origins of xenophobia, about what creates inequality in society. And the origins of inequality is largely the cultures in which we um, create and the rules in which we institutionalize them, those cultures. And any, almost pretty much any other vertical hierarchical structure, not a city, like this is a distinction between, uh, too. Many of those Native Americans, they also lived in cities, you know, I, I spoke about this yesterday, um, that were still egalitarian. So you can have an urban city center that is egalitarian and that is more, more equal between people. But if we want to take down this idea of if you want to be liberal if you want to take down these ideas of um hierarchical structures and and racism and xenophobia and homophobia and all this other stuff you have to look at the the core the principles the first principles the the core of the problem and a lot of that is the institutions the statism the the deeply hierarchical structures in which we have and by educating yourself and, and, you know, learning more about that, you can actually advocate for better, way better ways of solving the problem rather than just continuing the same problem or making it worse and thinking that you're making it better. <sighs> As you say, as they say, if you want to change the world, change yourself or something like that, right? <laughs> I was trying to bring it to a close, but <laughs> I was talking way too long. But anyways, yeah, 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 yeah. Like... Just edu- we gotta educate ourselves, y'all. We gotta we gotta look more and 
how things are, are done and why things are done this way and realize that things can be different they have been different and they will be different just remember that it's too often we think that oh the other other stuff it can't work because those signs were different because you know you know they were simpler <laughs> you know it's too complex now like no no they were just as complex as us if not more so in many different aspects many different ways the main difference is that we have a global, you know, kind of reach for a lot of things. But as with all things, just like with culture, just like with, you know, um, people and gender and all this other stuff, it's it's sometimes easy to put everything in, in one box and say, oh, this is a global phenomenon. There's nothing we can do. Like, no, there's a whole bunch of people who realize this, who who are seeing like I, I learned many of these things from people who live all around the world, you know, who are each doing their own different battles about, about this stuff and are each you know, beginning to fight um, against this 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 crap, <laughs> this hierarchical nature, or rather, this hierarchical structure. You know, so the the more we realize that, the fact that it is possible to uh, live a different sort of life, that is still you know a very good life. We can even still enjoy many luxuries in those lives. You know, imagine being able to live. Uh, most of life without ever having to worry about money without ever having to worry about like <laughs> paying your bills and all this other stuff because most of that is handled within the community like <laughs> this, this, you don't even have to worry about money for the most part unless you're trying to trade with something for uh, for uh, in another community or whatever now that's a, that's a luxurious life for most of us <laughs> never having to worry about you know bills and things like that always having fresh food available and I don't mean, you know, recently refrigerated. I mean fresh, you know. Oh. So, yeah. Um, we can uh, we can definitely do better, y'all. We can definitely do better. It's just realizing that and what that looks like and, and dreaming bigger and, and educating ourselves and practicing um, just actual change, you know. And uh, furthermore, keep learning, keep being curious, keep being critical, have that conversation. You know, a large part of this was me conversing with myself and kind of conversing through time and space with uh, my partner from her her uh, points that she brought up and other folks that I saw in the comments and all this other stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, let me shut up. I mean, freaking two hours can't believe I'm talking this long but thanks as always for listening if you did listen this long like this is insane <laughs> and um be on the lookout for my next newsletter it's probably gonna be like 30 pages long <laughs> Ooh, buddy and uh thanks for for being awesome like seriously if you listen to this to this point you you are amazing let me know let me know if you did <laughs> and um have a great day see ya bye-bye